You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. It seems like every day we get asked to sit on another hospital committee, give another lecture, volunteer once more for Little League, work on another fundraiser, squeeze in another emergency patient. How do you learn to say no? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is internist and chief of occupational health at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco, Dr. Linda Hawes-Clever. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Linda, why is it so hard to say no? It makes me smile just to hear the question because that is really on uh, all of our minds. I think that part of it is hard because those of us who are as wonderful and charming as we are, also we are pretty obsessive-compulsive, and we have to be to be doctors because you want to check off the box, you want to review the lab tests, you want to make sure that everything gets done just right. So that's the good news. The kind of soft underbelly of that is we really do want to please people. We want to be perfect. We want to be acknowledged for being perfect. It just turns out that that isn't possible. So we say yes a lot. Again, one, because we want to please. Two, because I think this may or may not shock people who are listening, we would like to control things. We would also like to fix everything. So that means if we're on the committee, better yet, if we chair the committee, we have a better chance of doing that. And what happens, though, is I think many of us have realized over the years that saying yes to everything all the time really makes us incapable of doing anything very well. So we have to kind of resist this wish, whether it's fix or control or to please everybody all the time, because, again, when we say yes, it can't happen because we don't have that much time. We aren't perfect. Our daughter, Sarah, who's also an internist, says, Poe Buddy's nerfect. Just get it. Poe Buddy's nerfect. When we do say no, also, it is really saying yes about ourselves. It says, I will take care of myself and my aspirations. I will not let others sap my energy or fritter my time. I will not get overcommitted and lose my edge at what's important. I will live my values so I can choose and accomplish my priorities and not get fatigued, not get exhausted. Yeah, one of my favorite expressions or, or sayings, I guess, is uh, if you want something done, ask a busy person. <laughs> so our, our culture knows that we can't say no, and they keep asking us to do things. It's true. The thing that's interesting is if we really took a little moment to think about it, if we do say yes again every time, and I am very much in favor of judicious yeses and judicious noes, if we say it every time, we won't be able to do what that organization needs because we just can't. We really do have limits. There are limits to what we should do and there are limits to what we can do in order to get our other priorities done that we've already taken on. I guess one of the things I'm here to say is that saying no at the right time, the right way, the right place is one way to take care of ourselves. And taking care of ourselves is not selfish. It's self-preservation so we can do what we want and must to do. You know, in a practical sense, what tips do you have to help us get through a tough day when everybody's asking us to do things all day long? Well, we actually have some exercises, and, and I've written a book, which is being circulated to publishers, so it's very exciting. And, and one of them is 
the how to say no exercise. And, and they're, what we've heard from across the country, things that people have said, then part of the exercise is saying, you know, does this fit my style? Yes, no, or maybe. One line that people can say, this is important work, but it's not my work right now. Mm-hmm. Or I can't do it now, but maybe I could some other time. Or my plate is full. I think people understand that. You know, one of the things is also we try so hard to please. We may not think that the person who is asking us to do something probably does have a plan B, probably does have someone else in mind. Saying my plate is full, they may say, well, I'm sorry, we'll ask again, or maybe not, we'll ask again. And they're going to walk off down the hall and ask somebody else. The other thing is the 24-hour rule, which I think is enormously helpful. And I learned from uh, Michael Myers, who is a psychiatrist in Vancouver, British Columbia, who works with physicians and medical students. And the 24-hour rule is simply give me a day to think about it. And then you can kind of take a breath. You can look at all the other things that are on your plate. And you can check in with your family or with your colleagues. Don't you see another problem is that our own narcissism kind of gets in the way that they're asking me to do this because I am so wonderful and uniquely qualified to do it. And absolutely uniquely qualified and can do it better than anybody else. So that's when we really have to know and cherish our uh, pathology. That's one impulse that I have. However, along with my, let's say, Hippocratic oath, I've also taken some vows I may have a marriage, I may have a partner, I may have other people I'm responsible for, I may feel very strongly about taking care of my parents, I may want to, again, take care of the dog. So somehow we need to have these competing imperatives and be able to sort through them, and we can if we don't just knee-jerk say yes. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233 the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Linda Haas-Clever. We are discussing how to say a very difficult word, no. Dr. Clever, how do you define success? I define success as having a sense that I am living my life in a way that meets my meaning and my purpose and that I'm having some joy along with it. And it's interesting to ask, though, people what their definition of success is. Of course, the answer varies with circumstance and also the more opportunity you have to to think about it. But meaning and purpose and being able to accomplish that or those are very important to people. Some people, though, have you know a quicker answer. Uh, One person said, oh, I want to be department chair. That'd be my definition of success, and that's reasonable. And another person actually in the same conversation group said, my definition of success is having my teenager talk to me. So it can be kind of highfalutin, which I think mine might have sounded like, and it also can be very, very practical. But underlying the definition of success are our values. And when we're in touch with our values, then we can have a good answer to that question or a satisfying answer to that question. So how does resilience fit into this? Resilience has to do with being able to bounce back and bounce forward, being able to say, this happened, and now I choose to move ahead. And that's the resilience part. 
sometimes people choose to reflect on it for a while and then one would hope move ahead. But of the elements, I think the important thing, one important thing is to recognize that it is a choice to bounce back. Now we know that we don't really have anything like free will or even free choice. I'm particularly concerned as our colleagues that you and I have seen who may be clinically depressed or have a chemical dependency or things that really interfere with our ability to think things through and regain our stance and regain our firm forward step. So I'm not just saying that it's quick like snapping your fingers if somebody has a biochemical or, or other sort of interference with being able to use our own intellect and use our own spirit. But aside from that, it really is a choice to bounce back and to say, well, one, this happened. That's realistic. This is what I learned from it. This is what I'll take into the future. And a sense of I can play the hand that's dealt me underlies much of resilience. I would also say having friends and allies is another part of resilience. Knowing that the people who really matter to you say, well, that's a little egg on her face or a little egg on his face, but you know he's still a great person. So you've talked about choosing your attitude. Uh, what do you mean by that? Viktor Frankl wrote one of the most persuasive and powerful books I've ever read, which is called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust and his whole family was killed. And in Man's Search for Meaning, which is a very short book that one can read, he said, the last human freedom is the freedom to choose your attitude in a given set of circumstances. An attitude can be, I can do this, or an attitude can be, I can't do this. One of the things that Henry Ford said is, don't explain, don't complain. But another thing that Henry Ford said was, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So that is an attitude and an outlook and how you kind of see yourself in the world. Viktor Frankl is the one who told me or who taught me about choosing it. So it sounds like uh, resilience, choosing your attitude, uh, defining success for yourself, that these are potential ways to prevent physicians from burning out. I think so. And actually, burnout is such a devastating situation. We, everybody talks about it. In Renew, we really don't talk about burnout because, as you said, the idea is how can we maintain or regain our enthusiasm and our effectiveness and our sense of purpose and move ahead. And that's our direction, is to be kind of like a trampoline instead of just a fireplace full of spent dead embers. In practical terms, how do people do that? And this is such a demanding job. You know, it seems like we're, we're fighting with everybody all day long. Patients don't want to do what we say. Insurance companies are always battling us, our employees, our fellow co-workers, that it's just a struggle all day. How, how can you bring this to life in a practical way? Those are a choice. I was talking with a physician the other day who had changed the name of the examining room from A and B to joy and harmony. One can think of it as a battle and a struggle, and that's a choice. And one can also think about it as an opportunity and a challenge and, and so forth. And then one can also say, you know what? I've tried all the things that I can here. I've done the best I could. I've had my ideas. I've volunteered. I've whatever. And this place doesn't work for me, and I'm going to leave. So I think to be in a continual battle, what we know from the neuroendocrine system is battle is really 
bad for heart and cardiovascular system. I mean, we're in a constant state of kind of hyper readiness. We counsel our patients against it all the time. Well, it's not good for doctors or nurses or anybody else we work with either. So I think that that's one of those choice points is do I see myself in a battle or do I see myself with a challenge or an opportunity? And again, I don't want to make it sound simple, but people can choose to be victims. And that turns out to narrow their options and narrow their dreams a great deal. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Linda Haas-Clever. We've been discussing how to say no and how to prevent burnout. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.